listening to the final episode of Media Podcast Season 2, A New ent- Era for Entertainment, The Death of the Silo. I'm Hannah, the Media's Cultural Insights Analyst, and I'm here with Srishti, who focuses on music and sports, and Tim, who's our Video Analyst. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi, hello, both. One of the areas that is of particular interest is to understand, as ever, what's around the corner, and particularly... Are we moving into an era that is all about the death of the silo? So I'm going to start this big topic by asking you, Hannah, about the the work you've done around understanding the shift to a lean forward creator culture. So tell me more. What does it actually mean when we have consumers that are actually leaning forward into creating their own entertainment experiences? Sure. Well, this is part of a much longer term trend that's just the rise of independent creators uh, as a group. So music in particular, um, independent artists, they just don't want to be signed to a label. 67% don't even want to be famous. They just want to be recognized in their scene. And about 50% want a loyal fan base. Um, But with a load of these new creator tools, um, even such basic ones as TikTok or Twitch streaming or Roblox in gaming, the funnel of creator tools is broadening to include uh, consumers, um, which is just having a broader impact on consumption as a whole, because when you have so many different competing things that you can spend your attention on, rather than, you know, there's so many distractions and these things can overlap and it's hard to really have something stand out to you and something that you can engage with becomes a much bigger sell. This is all within like the context of the resaturated attention economy. And a lot of it has been boosted over COVID just because there was so much extra time and so few other activities to engage in. So having an activity you could participate in with other people over digital suddenly became super valuable. This is a much bigger trend amongst younger consumers, uh, Gen Alpha, Gen Z, Uh, digital natives. Um, So that will be an interesting trend moving forwards as, you know, vaccine distribution's a bit staggered. So older consumers who have more of the money will be getting their vaccines first, even though they're starting to become uh, digital, digitally fluent, um, versus the younger consumers are going to stay on digital for a little while longer, uh, which will have some interesting long-term impacts. Well, I'm it's fascinating that you uh, you bring up the, the generational uh, nuances in this engagement. I know, uh, Shristi, um, we've been uh, doing quite a bit of talking around the silver streamer yeah. and digital entertainment consumption paradigm. Shall we talk a bit more about that to provide some context to what Hannah has eloquently introduced to uh, the, the debate around the younger generations and how they want to engage with content now? Yeah, absolutely, Tim. I feel like you've Silver Streamers is your um, favorite place um, to to look into, and it's really interesting because from where I come, I feel like what the older generation does in some way or the other passes on to a younger generation. So an older generation might watch um, a sport on TV, whereas the younger generation will watch the highlights. Slowly, what what I can see and what the world can see is that older generation is getting more um, digital friendly. So what is your take on the evolution of the silver streamer, especially in this digital era? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it's, it's, we're in a moment in time where digital fluency is becoming the norm. 
And so the previous 12 months of the great lockdown has led to this increased heightened engagement with digital entertainment because of the the cessation of IRL in real life alternatives. And that has led previously uh, reluctant uh, demographics to become um, fully engaged digital consumers. So examples of this in Q4 2020, the joint biggest uh, demographic for binge viewing in the US was actually the 55 plus group. So they, along with the 30 to 34 year olds, were the highest, most engaged binge viewers in the US market. And we think about the underlying demographics behind uh, the 55 plus group who we define as silver streamers in developed markets such as the such as the US and the UK, they actually make up the biggest single demographic because of the aging populations in developed economies. And it's obviously something that's very different to uh, emerging markets such as India, Brazil, etc. So I mean, I'm sure that's an area that we'll come on to later on, but it does highlight just how nuanced this uh, evolution engagement and and how much is predicated on understanding the demographic drivers behind why people choose to engage with a digital first uh, media experience as opposed to going for the uh, the other more traditional alternatives. Yeah, well, it's all kicking off basically as we're moving out of lockdown. Um, I mean, so within all this, within the resaturated attention economy and attention's about to go back down, competing with IRL plus a recession, which will reduce allocable wallet share. So the the real next big question is how do these savvy digital behaviors combine with a, a continued drive for digital simplicity? And how can propositions respond to what that inevitably means is particularly now that, Tim, as you say, the silver streamers are in binge-watching, uh, peak binge-watching behavior, which is very early on in streaming behaviors. The next one is savvy switching and churn. Um, so what's the best model moving forward? Is it bundling, such as like uh, Apple One, Amazon, Disney Plus Star, or is it continued niche being the the big the big thing? So I think, Srishti, that's actually a really good one for you to kind of talk about a little bit just because the Disney Hotstar proposition is quite big in India, isn't it? Um, It is pretty big in India. And overall, um, I can speak at least from the point of view of India as an emerging market, bundling is definitely the way to go. In, In countries like India, what people really look for value in the money that they're spending and the more they get, the happier they are to spend. Um, and Disney Hotstar actually does that really well because Disney has forever always been catering to a younger audience, but they also have a lot of other things like, um, you know, the Marvel Universe, and then they have like a lot of HBO and like Game of Thrones is on Hotstar, um, Disney Plus Hotstar in India now. And of course, Hotstar also controls most of the big sports leagues in India as well as the world, like the Premier League, the IPL, which is India's most watched um, sport. All of this is all available. So, so when somebody in the house, a parent in the house goes and gets themselves a Disney Hotstar subscription, they're able to use that within a household. And India is still a country where it's usually a family of three or four. 
um, living together, even when the kids are no longer kids and they're adults. So it's it caters to, I think, what Disney Plus Hotstar has done and which I think a lot of other platforms are slowly trying to follow now is create a home proposition that's actually something that Geo, our biggest um, telecom brand, is also doing. Um, it's just trying to get as get into homes because homes have silver streamers and Gen Z or Gen Alpha. Um, in some cases, especially in the ones where we have joint families, so their grandparents, parents, and children, it's actually catering to all of them in one go. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... It makes a lot of sense, I guess, when you think about it, particularly in those kinds of family units. So, Tim, yeah, with the Silver Streamers, they there's obviously a discrepancy where the Silver Streamers have more expendable income, they're less fluent, and now moving into this sort of consumption dynamic. Why do you think, do you think bundles are a really good way to attract them moving forward in more quote-unquote developed markets, or...? So yeah, I mean it's it's again. I mean it's it's a nuanced uh, a nuanced landscape, and it's there isn't a there isn't a simple binary choice here. Now, what is undeniably true is certain certain uh, platform services have inherent, almost unfair advantages for being able to engage with the consumers in the digital landscape. And one of the undeniable uh, realities of the digital landscape in 2021, and we've seen this through the previous 12 months of the, uh, the great lockdown, is there's been a, a return to known proven platforms by mainstream consumers. So if we take the example of something slightly out of um, our coverage area, but we take the example of video conferencing, why is Zoom so popular? There are uh, a multitude of different uh, video conferencing options available, but Zoom gets the uh, gets the majority of attention, the majority of the calls because it's a known, understood platform that does the job and has managed to position itself as such. Uber does the same thing for ride hailing. Um, so we can go on and on with the, those, those different uh, tech solutions. But what that means is if you're bringing something new into the marketplace from a direct consumer proposition, then being able to leverage existing consumer behavior in the digital landscape in a safe environment where there's a unified billing and user experience, then there's an inherent advantage there, there's an inherent attraction for consumers to want to, to work with that. And the other part of this equation is alongside simplicity, there's also peak tension as well. Now, it's an area that media has talked about extensively um, in recent years. Last year saw a, um, uh, a temporary hiatus against the peak tension as we had an additional 12% of entertainment time suddenly became available. But we are moving back into a landscape where the amount of time people have for any different consumer proposition is inherently limited because of all the other things that get in the way of life. The, the, the biological constraints, the working constraints, the IRL constraints that provide a definite limit on what a digital proposition can do to be able to engage those consumers. So again, having 
a multitude of different uh, consumer propositions around media, such as a, uh, a streaming video service, streaming music service, streaming games service, streaming news service, etc. Having this all in one place where the consumer has a, a comfortable user experience, they have a proven billing experience, crucially understand how to navigate that um, that user journey. These are all significant advantages. And then the final piece as to why bundles have so much uh, potential in developed markets is the fact that they allow for uh, subsidized pricing. And again, actually, even though I emphasize this is for developed markets, we're seeing this in developing markets as well. So Tristy talked about Geo just before. Geo has been doing this extensively uh, in India, subsidizing content to be able to drive their overall uh, mobile phone proposition. Um, and the same thing plays out in developed markets, particularly in the US now. Over the last uh, three years, we've had a real sense of consolidation around the communications majors looking to acquire media majors to create holistic, holistic integrated communications and media experiences to be able to provide an end-to-end consumer journey for the consumer, which simplifies the process and should reduce the cost of the services, but not always, um, and fundamentally becomes almost a commodified experience in the digital landscape. So I put these as the, the leading uh, advantages or propositions or, or USPs for the bundling proposition as it is currently. But I know, Hannah, you have some uh, concerns about how bundling is unlikely to make much headway amongst the younger generations of Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Yeah, well, I have I have some reservations about bundling as the the complete, the total solution, you know, um, as people as more and more consumers become creators, there's more niche becoming the new mainstream. And a really big bundle doesn't allow for necessarily a lot of creativity or select and, and serve. And on top of that, uh, younger consumers just tend to have less, less spending power. Um, so I know Netflix has very recently cracked down on account sharing uh, as sort of a, a way in an attempt to boost subscriber numbers because they've kind of saturated already the number of subscriptions they have. So if they force people off the accounts and they all have to get their own accounts. So, I mean, it's just a question of what is the broader thinking behind bundles? Are they, is it, are they appealing because they're practical? Uh, they're strategic to the companies. And um, is that mostly why they're being served? Because they do beg uh, familiarity, like what they, I mean, it's a very familiar billing process. It's all the same. You don't necessarily have to pay much attention for it. It can be very practical. Like with Amazon, you get, you know, free shipping plus video plus music. But then you still have to have more than one. And they do stack up after a while. And younger consumers are very used to sort of DIY choosing their services. Some of them can be ad supported. Uh, I know India has a huge problem with piracy. The longer we're online, the more familiar we are with it, the easier it is to just kind of like find those back end routes. And with everything being digital, the digitally savvy are just as happy having eight apps on their phones as they are having one app with eight tabs. So the cost sort of manages the difference, but younger consumers are unlikely to be able to afford the cost of numerous bundles anyway. DIY bundling with like ad supported services and some free trials and all of this could be just as appealing for a cohort that's very used to 
flexibility and basically choosing their own way. So I think in the near term, bundles obviously will be quite useful. But in the long term, I think it will be very hard to generate the kind of long term brand recognition and loyalty that the traditional subscription billing has sort of relied on is my main point of skepticism there. <laughs> that's um that's a, that's, a, that's really interesting and um so wh- what's what we're constantly seeing is that there are just different um age groups target audiences that have been consuming and paying for music differently. So Hannah what what are the generational divides around paying for content? And how do you believe that this is believe or, or you know not believe that this is accelerating the demise of the silo? The demise of the silo is sort of happening already. But if we do look at just back at different types of bundles, so you have more content specific ones like Disney Plus, which is all video, or Netflix, which is all video, and so they have some level of brand recognition there. And then you know music, you have you have Spotify. But then there's also ones like Amazon, which has got, you know, shipping, um, well, shopping, and then music, and it's got video. So already you've kind of got these blended propositions that may have less brand recognition. And brand recognition as a whole is kind of going down in a saturated attention economy where you have so many conflicting brands and things on being served to you all the time, competing for every second of your attention. So it's just much harder to even develop that, much less turn brand recognition to long-term brand loyalty. That's why churn is so high. But then there's, so companies are having to adapt by basically changing their subscriptions um, or their billing process to basically allow for people to leave because the easier it is for them to leave, the more likely they are to come back when they want to spend that money. So that's why companies like Netflix or Amazon have much easier, um, they can basically allow for churn. They like make it quite easy. Versus old-fashioned like telcos, like Virgin Media, for example, having just had to go through a cancellation process, they try and make it as friction as possible so that you stay with them. Uh, and that's something that younger consumers are less and less likely to want to put up with now that they're used to ease of switching. It raises questions, what happens to those between Silver Streamers and Gen Alpha? Because you have Silver Streamers who are more accustomed to bundles and billing and Gen Alpha or Gen Z who are very accustomed to just kind of DIYing their whole thing. Uh, so what would, Swishti, what would you say is like a middle way for a post-silo, post-generational divide uh, based on where India's digital economy is heading? I think India is, um, is very different um, from everywhere else. So in India, where more than 50%, almost 60% um, of the population is rural, where they have in a lot of places, don't even have access to proper electricity, but they have geo. What what Tim was talking about um, about geo is that they've been increasing their value to be able to increase the number of mobile sims that they're that they're able to sell. So I think as of as of December last year, they had about four hundred million sims that were being used, and I think broadband was at about two hundred twenty million. And the way that it works is in India, if you're looking at the urban population, there is a little bit of a rise of silo, but I I mean, sorry, rise of the silver um, streamer. And that's because when you look at rural India, most of the people, especially grandparents at that age, are more about doing things for their grandchildren. So if they do buy a phone, they'll probably buy a phone for their grandchild. If they do get 
a Hotstar connection or a Sony Live or whatever streaming application that they want to choose, Netflix would probably be out of question here because it's more of an urban English, even though there is regional content on it, but that's not how they're pushing it um, as much as some of the regional platforms. They would probably give it to their grandchildren so that they could use it. So in in India, the older people are paying for things and the younger people are are consuming them and using them. So we might not have a huge rise in the silver in the silver surfers right now, but I think the middle gen the the generation in between are constantly buying things, making sure we have Buy Juice, which is an educational app that has really taken off in the pandemic because the parents they're they're constantly worried about education for their children and they have to do their own jobs and look after the house. So the best way is to bring in a platform um, that is engaging for their children as well as easy for them to learn by themselves. So the the generational divide um, here is much more. Older generation is probably not using as much smartphones as the younger generation. And even if they are, they're probably not using it um, to full capacity. I know that um, comes up against some of my thinking, Shristi, on this. I know you had some uh, you had a question for me on this that's directly pertinent to this um, exploration of just how this generational impact may reshape the digital landscape going forwards? Um, as of till, I'm going to say till last year, OTT platforms have started to come up really big um, in India. And my take is that the reason it grew so fast was one, they were all being bundled in with mobile connections. Like when you get a geo SIM or you get geo broadband, you get geo TV, which is essentially a normal TV, but on like, on your phone as an application so you can browse through channels um, on your phone it comes it was geo it used to come with geo music which is now geo savan so you can listen to music on there they have geo studios so it's a all in one um, platform where you can you can use where you can access all of um, the content so yeah so what has happened over the last year is that all of a sudden there's been there's been a lot of controversy around the content that the ott platforms have been putting out and there's been a fresh set of of censorship that's come in just because of the kind of content that people were creating from everyone that i know around the world game of thrones has been quite difficult to access for those under the age of 18 whereas here hotstar had a specific data plan so not a data plan but a consumption plan for game of thrones only where you could consume game of thrones the minute it was up everywhere else in the world and just content like that which is sensational it's great content but it's sensational it's not right for the young for children, especially children under the age of 18 to watch. So this has brought in a new set of censorship rules where now Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, everybody has to control the kind of content that they're putting out. This, I think, persists a problem for how consumption is going to be, is going to go forward in India because like Hannah said, India is known to not take a step back away from privacy, uh, sorry, from piracy. and if if they can't find what they're looking for and and they know via social media that this is something that's gaining popularity all over the world 
they will either find a way to to pirate it or they will use VPNs to access it. And the younger generation now being more aware, having more access to information is going to constantly use this. And in a country where all of a sudden there was, you know, we were taking a step away from Bollywood and there was new kind of content that was being generated in India. Um, We've had sacred games and some really interesting um, localized content that's created. Um, content creators are now going to be briefed to create and Disney plus Hotstar actually came up with this where they said now they're going to push more family friendly content. So this sort of skews, you know, what Hannah's saying about the more access to be able to create content, there's going to be um, a lot of creators are going to have to give up a little of their expression because everyone is trying to go for the mass consumers. So it's... um, Things are, it's going to be really interesting to see how content moves forward in India. I think a lot of us are also waiting for Bollywood to go through um, a little bit of a change and for people to move away from Bollywood and to have really interesting new content and to be able to compete with the world in terms of the content being created. But looks like that, that we moved two steps forward and one step back. So it's It's going to be an interesting time on how content is going to be created as well as consumed, especially as in India where the pandemic is still lingering on and is probably going to stay around for another year. Um, It's and, you know, things like especially in India where, you know, we're consuming a lot of sports content as well, like cricket content um, getting cancelled. So now now that 12 percent time is going to go somewhere else hopefully it goes to more indian content you know i tim i still have i still want to ask you why you believe that this that the silver streamers are going to define the streaming experience i do believe that you know what the older generation does the younger generation sort of takes a little um and moves forward from it but i'd also like to know your thoughts on it sure yeah i mean in some ways, we're talking about uh, two potentially contradictory trends here going on with the uh, very much the youth-centric view of the Indian market versus the the 55-plus viewpoint of the silver streamer-dominated video markets in, uh, in North America and Europe. And potentially, we could actually be looking at the same outcome here because with one of the undeniable realities of silver streamers coming to dominance in uh, in streaming is as they become the most important uh, demographic for the content commissioners to uh, create content for there's actually there's very likely to be a dampening effect on the the level of innovation um, and diversity in that content because the 55-plus group are coming from a traditional pay TV background, a free-to-air background, where content has both been constrained by the needs of advertisers, by um, prime-time viewing restrictions, but also just for the fact that the most creative, the most dynamic showrunners over the past five years have largely been on streaming services because one of Netflix's uh, masterstrokes was to entice uh, the likes of Shonda Rhimes um, 
and and the and other showrunners into um, into uh, exclusive deals with them that allowed them the freedom to be able to create long, uninterrupted narratives of their vision, where it was only predicated on their what what they wanted to achieve with the storytelling and. That, along with the big paychecks involved, obviously made it a very uh, enticing proposition for them. So the res- result was the non-streaming landscape had a diminution in talent and also it lacked a lot of the innovation and a lot of the innovative storytelling that was a prerequisite of the streaming era, predominantly to entice and retain younger audiences. So as Silver Stream has come on board, that's likely to, in some ways, go back to an extent. But also, the other side of it, the flip side of it, is it's still going to be a predominantly adult-orientated audience as well. So the, the concerns that might be in the Indian market about the appropriateness of scripted drama for younger audiences will be of less of a concern in developed markets. But what will be of a greater concern is the almost a dead hand of of the end of, of innovative creativity because the silver streamers are unlikely to be wanting the same amount of disruptive entertainment propositions that have to date being the hallmark of the streaming landscape. So I think this is going to have a really strong impact on the kind of content that's commissioned going forwards. And it's likely to create a more homogenistic and less um, creatively dynamic environment over the next few years. It's definitely a, an interesting concern. I suppose the question is when that starts to happen, because I think we brought up a little bit before how there's basically the, these older consumers who are newly digitally literate are also the first ones who are going to get their vaccines and go back out and have IRL activities start competing with those other behaviors versus like the younger consumers are going to be you know primarily digital first going forward, particularly if we have things like uh, vaccine passports and you know, who can travel and how much you can, or whether or not you need to get tested. So potentially over the next couple of months before this sort of like closure starts to happen uh, is the last big push for innovation that when it will predominantly be younger consumers before it really is the silver streamers who become the primary customers. I mean, it really does bring in... um, the dynamic IP, content IP is king in a content first economy. Netflix may be the only service that, well, Netflix and Disney like brand their content pretty well, um, but just shows switch platforms a lot. Like um, there's, it's, there's a slow loss of, of brand building. Um, and on top of this, subscription revenue is very different from box office revenue. But with all these services now experimenting with premium video on demand, where you pay that like $30 or whatever at the for the first month, um, which may spell an end to the opening weekend in cinemas as we know them, which changes the whole return on investment of high quality content completely. So it does sort of raise the question, how can we measure success at all? Um, What makes a successful show? Is it popularity? Is it fandom? Is it cultural heft? Or is it 
Uh, is it just revenue, which is something that streaming services are going to experience very different from traditional studios? So yeah, how do we how do, how is monetization possible? Which is an interesting question for India, which tends to be somewhere in between digital first and developing at the same time. Uh, I don't know, Srishti, what do you what do you think in terms of how to measure what's a good show or the success of a film product? Yeah, I mean, you said it. Um, how do we do any sort of monetization in India? That's been the the looming question since forever. So I think, um, yeah, in India, trying to p- get people to pay for a service has been a challenge. It's constantly run on ad supported. You know, you look at Netflix and and they've do- they've they did this show called Sacred Games and and they've come out with some of this almost Bollywood esque TV show. Um, which did pretty well it was it was I mean and when I say pretty well I mean it was buzzing all over social media for quite some time and season two came and it was almost like anticipating um, any other really big tv show like a game of thrones um, all over the world you know maybe maybe as of now it's just especially during the pandemic it's how much social awareness um, media how how it's you know leading to fandom definitely Um, so Interestingly enough, this year Netflix has picked up a bunch of T-series movies. And, you know, T-series is a music company that also makes films. And Netflix is slowly becoming the spot for the younger generation. Even, I would say, I would even go as far as saying even kids in rural areas are probably looking at their um, Google Play Store and being, well, what's this Netflix app? Let me get it. And if the day they can buy it they will probably that's probably going to be one of the things that they spend their money on or they get their families to spend money on and when you have a proposition like t-series where the fandom is extreme and you know you the way that you're going to measure that fandom is okay i'm going this is how bollywood movies work is you there's a movie with a lot of really cool uh music and then you go on on whatever platform mostly youtube and you're constantly listening to that music where bollywood movies will get like a million plays in less than a week probably billion in some cases when there's like an artist like bardsha or divine performing and i think it's it's no longer about one platform and that's also one of the reasons why i think bundles really are going to work in the long run in India is because you go and watch a movie somewhere and you want to listen to that song and within that one space you then go and get to listen to the song it's ease of access and it's more access for lesser money where you're going to pay about 650 rupees for Netflix per month but you get a geo subscription where you're paying around 300 rupees a month um, where you're all where you're also getting two gigabytes of data you have access to geo studios geo movies geo their entire platform um, of offerings um, you get a broadband at home and then you can also watch that on your big screen Amazon is also another proposition there because Amazon again you can watch a movie um, and Amazon has this really cool feature where when you look, when you click to the side you can see what song is actually playing and it's much easier for you to then go on to Amazon Music and then just listen to it so I think what people are going to be looking forward in India is one place where they can get all their entertainment 
so that they don't have to move you know like you have your smart tv and everything's just there at one click because you have like your geo studio um or your geo platform on there or even airtel for that matter has wink and airtel extreme which is the same as geo tv but uh for airtel they're just going to keep bringing together as many entertainment platforms as possible under one roof so that there's ease of access and more value um for less money yeah i mean is the uh sorry tim did you want to say something sure yeah so i think to, to wrap this up i think it's going to be interesting to get a a sense of how what Shristi's been accurately talking about with the overlapping between entertainment demand and monetization that's occurring in India, how does this play into the creator culture for Social 2.0? And fundamentally, what's going to be the impact upon revenues, performance metrics for the entertainment incumbents who currently dominate the space? Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting one. How do you measure what success is is that likes is that number of views is that how often it's been aired on a screen how do you tell if a show is just background tv and something not many people pay attention to or if it's something that they really really are fans of um because fandom starts i mean we talk about this a lot in media but fandom is like that emerging thing that really makes things stand out and then the question is how do how do platforms develop fandom can they have platform fandom or is it just content fandom it's primarily content and then how do you measure that and this ties into that lean in consumption culture um creative creative consumers um in that you really see that the bigger fans consumers are of a proposition the more they'll lean in to do something around it so like Netflix's Queen's Gambit, Chess Sales, Sword, it was huge. Um, Tiger King early on was, you know, everyone went online and was talking about who really killed, uh, no wait, did Carol Baskin really kill her husband? And it's, it's really stuff that makes, that stands out that someone feels the need to actually engage with and do their own thing. Um, and it's, you need to be careful to distinguish that from format. So like short form video, incredibly popular, TikTok doing like huge, huge increases. But um, Quibi, which basically bet that it was short form video that was important and not UGC, which was the, the proposition of TikTok, uh, completely failed. So it's, it's all about the things that consumers can identify with and really want to engage with. And that's how you can really start to tell whether or not something is successful. How, how much that makes money is kind of a dodgy one because we're seeing basically that the older consumers are the one make, like paying for the services and then the younger consumers are the ones just using them as they will, which is not really a sustainable model. So it is a big question moving forward as to uh, how that's going to work out for content producers. Great. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered a lot of the ground here, haven't we, really? There's obviously still much more to talk about, but yeah. There, there are a lot of questions opening up there. And one thing we do know is the silo's time has come and gone. Okay, well, I'd like to... Yep, so sorry, Hannah, you'd like to say something? Yep, so it has. Uh, and we will be embellishing upon these many questions in our blog and future reports. So stay tuned. <laughs> Great, excellent. Okay, well, thank you all for your time. And uh, as ever, look forward to continuing the conversation via... Um, via uh, further, further podcasts or blog pieces, as Hannah has mentioned. Thank you all and goodbye. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favourite podcast platform. 